You're listening to Business in Black with your host, Danita Harris. Welcome to another edition of Business in Black. This is your host, Danita Harris, coming to you from the lovely Brooklyn, New York. It's uh, actually spring here, which means it's a good, hot, balmy 46 degrees. (laughs) And I'm looking at Dr. Hughes down in South Florida, our lovely co-host, who is experiencing actually colder than normal weather, I hear, down there. We're still in winter, which I'm very happy about because that means we'll have a mild summer. So it's getting down into like 50 at night and then the high. I think today it's supposed to be 71 or at least it's 71 right now. I don't know, but I'm I'm loving it because I can open all my windows and let the fresh air in. Oh, it's 57 degrees. And right do now, some clean spring and, clean and open those windows clean, and just let clean. all the bad energy out. And yeah, this is that, that weather where you can just sleep with those sliding glass window up. Well, if you're on a higher floor, nice, <laughs> right? And, and, and your window and leave your windows open, like she said, to get some fresh air. Yes, and to just you know do some good steam, uh, blah, 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 spring cleaning. Yes, yes. That's what I've been doing. I've been mm-hmm. cleaning and vacuuming. And uh, I mean, that's when you get up and clean your ceiling fans. Ceilings, that's right. I got to get up there. Get those baseboards and everything. So, that's yes. right. That is mm-hmm. right. So, well, um, today is another great day. I don't know why we always start the day with the weather. I think probably because sometimes the weather actually affects your mood. Yes, it does. And regardless mm-hmm. of how cold it is outside or how, and it also affects the way you move, right? As an entrepreneur, when you don't have to go to a job location, Mm-hmm. It will affect the way that you move every day. So you might right. decide, well, I'm working from home today because it's cold and I don't feel like putting on all the layers or it's storming and I don't feel like getting all wet or whatever the case may be. But in any weather, one should try to uh, be productive as possible um, and just push past the way that you feel because of what it looks like outside. And just thank God for having another day to look outside. Exactly. <laughs> so we're above ground and we're going to take full advantage of it as we go into another episode of helping you build, start, grow, and build a better and more successful business. And I actually had a question come through over the last week. Um, the question, Dr. Hughes, was how, do, how does one determine what a successful business was? So I'll give my answer first and let you think about it for a minute. My answer to the question, how does one determine what a successful business is to them personally, um, I think success holds different measurements for different people. Some people don't aspire to be a multi-million dollar organization. Some people don't aspire to have a full-time business. Some people, uh, like I know my mom has a part-time business on the side. She's had it for years and she just kind of works it when she wants to and then does it. Other people are perfectly content um, holding down a 40-hour work week And then, you know, selling their cosmetic line on the side or, you know, it's just their what they call their Christmas change or their extra change on the side. So I think that's the first determination. I can't I can't compare myself to a Bill Gates. I can't compare myself to um, uh, a Jeff Bezos if I only intend to grow to X point. So after that, then um, I think the success measure is how well financially are you doing? Are you turning a profit? Is your business, um, have a, does it have a good reputation? These are all questions to me that would help me mark whether or not that business was successful. So for me personally, I think a business is successful when you've surpassed the goals that you set out to achieve for that business, whether it's small, whether it's large, but you've surpassed the financial portion, you've surpassed the reach portion, meaning how many people, how many clients you reach, you've surpassed all of those things. And the business is somewhat generating, self-generating. So now people have heard about you and the word is out and you're able to um, get new business in off of referrals because people know, trust, and like you, et cetera. Those are what makes a business successful to me. I will say success is relative. 
this is something that, I mean, I will keep saying it. I think people really need to get it deep, deep, really down in, in the core of who they are, that success is relative. What success means to me is not success to the next person. What are your milestones in your business? Like Ms. Harris was saying, you have to know what the milestones are in your business for you. I don't care if you're in the same business as your, as your neighbor. Your milestones are not your neighbor's milestones. So success is relative based on what your milestones are and are you accomplishing those milestones? So for instance, your milestone may be, I want to get five new clients a month for the next three months. And you may do just that or you may exceed that. That may not equate to the same dollar amount. Your neighbor may say, instead of five new clients, they may say, I want to make $5,000 a month for the next three months. That's not the same equivalent because your five clients are not the same as 5,000 a month. Why? Pricing. All of this stuff matters and it's all different. So I just, I would say success is relative Mm -hmm. and you want to stay focused on what your goals are, whatever, what are the milestones you set in your business? And if you are achieving those milestones, you are successful. If you are exceeding your milestones, your milestones, meaning your goals, you are successful. If next year you exceed this year on top of what your budget is for the year, you are successful. So it's not about comparing yourself to the next person or trying to do it like someone else or being, you know, you know, the number one in the whole world, it's, it's keeping perspective on your business and what your milestones and goals are. And are you hitting those benchmarks? That is how you should be measuring the success in your business and not based off of anyone else. Right. And because too often we, we hear that term success, oh, I run a successful business, but all too often we're comparing ourselves to the Joneses and trying to keep up with the next person. And, you know, God called everyone to a different level on that they're supposed to conquer and yours might be completely different than the other person. So I think that's something really to consider as you embark upon your uh, entrepreneurial endeavors of what, and financial endeavors of what success financially looks like for you uh, personally and professionally, um, because not everyone's called to, be a multimillionaire. They can't handle being a multimillionaire. Uh, Not everyone's called to extreme poverty. Um, So you're just finding where where you're supposed to be in the, the scope of the big picture of success. And we wish you the most success, which is why we do this show every week. Uh, we want to give you tips and tools and information that will help you along the way. Of course, beyond the show, we are available for coaching. Um, my handle everywhere pretty much is business intelligence coach. And Dr. Hughes is global mentor coach. Yes. And so we're here to help you help yourself in business. And with that being said, we're going to go right into today's show topic, which is drum roll, please. No, I'm kidding. Um, (laughs) It is. um, Hey, 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 team. Hey, out there, everybody. Stop confusing your clients. This is a show we're going to talk to you about how you can stop the confusion because Confusion breeds indecisiveness, which means they will stall out and go someplace else Mm -hmm. and shop that client and buy because it's not confusing. Absolutely. So we want to give you the confusing tips um, that you're doing um, that are just rattling your customer and making them want to look like a deer in headlights and not do anything for lack of a better term. So with that said, uh, we're going to go right into number one. I'm going to start Dr. Hughes with um, failure to educate your client. Man, that's a, Am I supposed to laugh? Because that's I, I mean, know, to me, that's just basic. It's, like, I'm no. so basic. I am, but we have to, we don't know where everybody is. You know, True. I was I was listening. I was I'm actually sorry, I was no. in some of the groups. Don't be sorry. It's okay. 
but I was in some of the groups um, and I won't name the social media platform, but I was in some groups talking with, you know, just reading. And it was a group for um, female entrepreneurs. And let me just put this all call out to all my female entrepreneurs globally. We have got to do better. And what I mean by that is we don't, it's disproportionate the amount of millionaire female owned corporations to male owned corporations. Now, hear what I'm saying. I understand that there are a lot of, you know, things that go on and, and, and reasons for that that are beyond our control. But I'm talking about those things that are in our control that we can just flat outright do better. So I'm just going to say that. I'm not going to go too deep into it. I I just want to prick you and and light a fire underneath you right now that you will want to go out and be a better business owner and strive to be a better because we, you know, they've already proven in studies that women are better business owners. And if we're better business owners and better bosses, then we need to own the bigger businesses where we can employ and we can get back to some morality and loyalty and, and human connection back into business. So before I get on my soapbox, we don't know where people are in their business. And unfortunately, in this group, um, it was a little basic, way too basic for me. Uh, so I exited the group, but God bless them and wish them all the success. But this is like, let's just start with some basics of basics. You know, some people don't know they actually have to educate their consumer on what it is that they're selling. So failure to educate is a huge mm, confusion. People may not understand what you're saying, may not understand what your product is, it's your job. It's not their job to take the information and then go home and research it on Google and say, well, what did they mean? No, it's your job to educate them. When they start giving you that deer in the head, like, look, you'll be, if that's your cue to break it down in a different way to make it understand, make them understand what it is you're trying to convey. And, and, and let me add this. If you are at a very high price point for your product, and or service, you need to share the value of why you're at that price point. Correct. So let me, let me give you an example. <clears throat> if you're doing custom wigs or you're selling wigs and you make them by hand, you can't just slap up a Shopify store or any type of online store with a price point of $300 plus for one wig, there's no dialogue. There's no description. Mm-hmm. There's nothing explaining why this wig is $300 plus. Mm-hmm. You're not saying it's, it's virgin, 100% silk Italian imported lace. Mm-hmm. You know, on this, you, you're, you're not giving anything that's going to add value or explain to your customer why is why they need to spend three hundred plus dollars for a wig for a custom quote wig from you because they don't even know what kind of materials. How long does it take you to make this wig? Is it your time that they're paying for? You have to add value and build value and communicate that again, like Miss Harris said. Otherwise, you're just gonna have an online site with products that nobody's buying because you're not building the value for your customers. And so education is just that. Thank you for cleaning it up a little bit. Education is just that. Education is building value into your widget or your service. Uh, Dr. Hughes just gave us our gold nugget of the week, uh, which is don't lead with price. Mm -hmm. When I go shop for a Bentley, they're not leading with price. You better say that. They're leading with service. I I, I subscribe to the Bentley magazine now. Thank you very much. They put <laughs> it out to me. I'm so proud of this moment. Um, but they they start with service. It starts from the moment you enter their showroom. It starts from the moment you click on their website. It starts with the education, building the value of the handcraftsmanship 
of the hand stitched leather, of the hand, you know, carved wood, of all of these attributes of their vehicles that makes them in luxury automobile Mm -hmm. as opposed to just a car, you know? Um, And so don't lead with price, lead with your value, educate people on what makes you so unique and different and why, what the, the, the with them. And I hate to bring a jargon out right off the bat, because we're going to talk about that later, but a with them, a what's, in it for me as a consumer, don't you, you have to give them that because automatically people are self, um, self-centered to the point where, I, well, if I'm, I'm using it, I need to know what I'm buying. And so they should be because it's their hard-earned money that's going on the line to purchase this widget or service. And therefore, they should understand what their money is buying them. Right. I think also it's it's very important. I love that you brought in Bentley and the luxury line because again, goes back to the opening point of success. You're not comparing. You have to know who your market is, who your competitor is. I want to talk about the point that you made. Don't lead with price. If you're a luxury brand or used to be a luxury brand or consider yourself a luxury brand, that should be your mantra. I think this is the disappointment I have with Maserati. And you and I have talked about this before mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. South Florida when they started putting up these billboards mm-hmm. with price mm-hmm. and how, quote, affordable it is. And it's only this a month. Now you, to me, you have devalued right. the brand because Maserati did not, <laughs> they never did that. You don't the mystery see is gone. Right. You don't see mm-hmm. Bentley doing that. You don't see Rolls Royce doing that. You don't see, you don't even see Jaguar doing that or Jaguar. Jaguar. You know, you don't even see Porsche or Porsche. Mm-hmm. You don't see them doing that. Why? Because they understand the value and they already have loyal raving fans of their brand. Their brand is known for luxury. They're known for all of these things. And, and like Ms. Harris said, you go to the Bentley website, everything down to the website, the look and feel, the experience. It gives you goosebumps on your goosebumps. I feel that way when I go to the Cartier website or Tiffany's. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's a whole different world. Look and feel. Stick to that. Stay in your lane. Because when you start trying to catch them all like Pokemon, you, mm. you, you get, that's what you get. And now you muddy your brand and, and people don't want that. Well, consistent. that's a great place for us to take a quick break. And um, we'll be back. You're listening to Business in Black. And today we're talking about not confusing your clients. Cut it out. We don't want it anymore. We'll be back. You're listening to Business in Black with your host, Danita Harris. And we are back uh, after a short little break here. And so a very good topic today. We're talking about stop confusing your client. Um, Just giving tips on ways that you are confusing your client and clarifying what we mean and hope that you will clarify yourself in your own business. And so number one was a really good one, failure to educate, basically building value into uh, what it is your client is uh, purchasing from you, whether it's a widget or whether it's a service. Number two, um, failing to tailor to your clients. So failing to actually have a package that resonates with the client. And so you can't be like Dr. Hughes eloquently left off in our last segment was you can't be all things to all people. So you have to find your niche market and you have to narrow it down and, and cater essentially to them to, to, to niche yourself out and to make yourself more relevant. Um, fortunately, if, if you think about it, usually what I tell people is if you had the thought that this was your pain point. There are other people with the same pain point. So you can build off of that pain point and 
then you have to learn how to speak to that pain point, right? So that's how you start to, to, to carve it out and tailor it and fit it to where people are going to continue the connection points, right? Uh, between what drew them in and what will keep them into building, um, into buying into your business. Uh, Dr. Hughes, you have one on the list? No. I'm okay. Following your lead. I, I didn't want to hog the list. Here. No, honey, go ahead. I'm, okay. I'm here for okay. commentary. <laughs> I love it. Some weeks, everybody, some weeks, some weeks. Um, some weeks she comes on fire lit with like a whole manuscript. Other weeks she's like, no, honey, I'm just... Honey, last week I was on fire. Yes, yes. I'm like, okay, whatever. All righty. So number three, um, when you don't take control of the business, of the situation, of the sales pitch, of the of the explanation of the the value that you're building into it when you as the person who wants someone to buy from you doesn't take control over the sales process that leads people to confusion confusion and frustration mostly so there are too many people who want to have a business that don't want to sell correct And I will say this, if you can't communicate what you have to offer, you probably should not be in business. Just sell your widget idea to somebody else who can do it. Because here's the thing. Yes, you just you might want to just emerge in the creative process and hire somebody else to do operations and sales. That's fine. But you still have to communicate that to those people. You have to communicate the look feel and experience you want your customers to have Mm -hmm. because nobody can do that but you if you know you don't want your customers feeling like they're begging you to take their money then you need to communicate that to whomever is in your sales process and your whole sales process has to include that from soup to nuts that means before they even get to the idea that they want to purchase. Everything mm-hmm. about you and your brand and business has to communicate, I value and appreciate you. And so the people that you hire, that you entrust with this part of your brand have to have that same mind, that same heart, that same passion. And again, nobody can communicate your vision like you. So in the beginning, you should be your you should be a raving fan of your own your own stuff right because nobody can sell you and what you're offering like Ms. Harris says your widget or your service like you can mm-hmm. maybe you you may get somebody who can help you refine your message right. that's different than somebody else you trusting somebody else to come up with it all together you're the visionary so you have to do the work especially in the beginning and let me let me make a note um, because I just posted it this morning on my Facebook page, um, Business Intelligence Coach. Let me make a note of what Dr. Hughes just said. There are a lot of people out here claiming to be business coaches and have never been in business a day in their life. Mm-hmm. These are not the people who you should be investing your time, efforts, and money with. Let me just be very frank. It's a good hustle. Let me tell you, you know, I can read a couple books. I can tell you a couple stuff about business. Very surface, very basic. But at the end of the day, do you really want a bread maker performing heart surgery on you? Mm-hmm. Or do you want someone who's gone to school, who's trained, even if they didn't go to school, they still been the school of life in the hard knock business world where they've own businesses and they've had failures and they've had success. Let me tell you who my best business advisor is who never went to business school. And that's my mom because they own a business, a Bible bookstore when I was a young child. And so between that and some other endeavors my parents have had, um, they give the best business advice without going to school. But my point is they can't really give me holistic business advice without having been in the trenches of business. So I'll just put that there and leave it. And the other way I wanted to go, thank you, Dr. Hughes, for always mm-hmm. transitioning us, is let's, I found this article, Dr. Hughes, on LinkedIn, and it's called, Are You Confusing Your Customers? Stop 
pushing and start communicating on the point that you made about communicating to your clients. And the point of the article is people are vying for business all the time, which we talked about on our last show, Going Global. Listen, 90% of business is done outside of America. A, stop being so narrow-minded and only thinking that your only customers are in America. But B, when you get those customers, what are you doing to be clear with your message, with your logo, with your branding, with all of these elements we're talking about today to communicate and build value. And like we said on the the very first one, education, having that conversation with people about the exclusivity or the ingenuity or the hand craftsmanship of what it is that you're producing and or displaying to the world. So when you start communicating how you're doing things and why and that behind the scenes look and and all of a sudden, because let me tell you what Bentley does for me. I'm really pushing Bentley right now. I'm hoping for a sponsorship. (laughs) I'm really pushing Bentley. Let me tell you what Bentley does for me. They send me an email or I see their car or I see them in a magazine and it makes me want to go do more research on them. So even though I'm not in the presence of a Bentley employee that can tell me their story, I'm going to research their story on my own so that I can resonate with that brand. And they do it for you in periodical. One of my favorite, one of my favorite fashion magazines, um, catalog, mail order catalogs, Jay Peterman, because he builds value by building the story. He is... A storyteller. Oh, Mm -hmm. that's old school. Mm -hmm. But let me ask you a question, Dr. Hughes. Do you want my Italian spaghetti that's been freshly prepared and cooked? Or do you want my Italian spaghetti where my spaghetti sauce was cooked in my great-great-grandmother's pot that she brought over from Naples, Italy, and that she had used for and learn from her mother on how to cook spaghetti. I want the one with the biggest story. You you want the one I with want the, the history. Story. You want grandma. It, it's going to make me, th- right, because it's going to make me think that, oh, you got this grandma recipe? Right. Ooh, you know, grandmas know how to cook. Right. Oh, you know, oh, this, oh, the sauce, everything is baked into the pot. Right. So now all those seasonings, no, never mind the that the pot has been washed. Right. And cleaned. Right. right. But, but in, in your, your mind, mind, the seasoning, Absolutely. It's in the pot. Right. And it's just so, like right now, if I want to eat some collard greens. Right. And I and I, I and I want my grandma's collard greens. Not, you know, everybody does it different. I want my daddy's mama mm-hmm. collard greens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She ain't cooking collard greens anymore. I have to get country on y'all real quick. Right, right, right. She's not cooking. No, let me get. She's not cooking collard greens anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but let me go up to Palm Beach. Grandma, what's the pot that you used to cook collard greens in? Why? Because I want me some collard greens and I want right. my grandma collard greens. And I know you ain't cooking them right now, but if I can cook them right that here and you're going to get in that pot, yes, according to your instructions, similar. how you do it, it's yes. going to come out right. like grandma's right. greens. Right, right. You see what I'm saying? You yes. want to, it's the story. So, yes, learn yes. how to tell Communicate. stories. Yes, communicate. Learn Create how to Create that story in their mind. People buy... Listen, just like people eat with their eyes and with all their senses, people buy with all their senses too. Correct. It's buying decision. Create the experience. Build the value. Like she said, it all starts with communicating. But honey, tell that story because Bentley knows how to tell it. I can tell you right now, Rose Royce knows how to tell it. Uh, uh, Tiffany's knows how to tell it. Uh, uh, what's my other one? Uh, uh, Cartier knows how to tell it. And let me tell you, the conversation isn't always about you. Right. And your product. Take that conversation and make it about your client. 
and identify. And that's why I love Jay Peterman. So if you if you ever watch Seinfeld, then you know Elaine worked for Jay Peterman. Mm-hmm. Go online and still see Jay Peterman. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they have a very niche market because not everyone is going to be attracted to the clothes that they sell. But read the stories because they they envelop you, they hold you, they they grab you, they pull on you, and you are forced to say, do I identify with this woman or man or do I not? And I can, I can buy into this brand as a result of that conversation. They make you see yourself in their clothes or, Correct. or in their using their Correct. product. Correct. So you have to help people see themselves engaging with your widget and or service. Yes. Absolutely. Which brings us to number four, speaking the right language to the right crowd. I think we just basically summarized all of that. Like, who is your target audience? How are you addressing them? You have to speak their language because if you're speaking your, the right language to the wrong crowd, the right language to the wrong crowd, then you're going to lose everybody. Right. But then in number five, do the opposite, speaking the wrong language to the right crowd. So in your mind, you've said, no, I want to be high end luxury. But you're telling me that your price point is nine dollars and ninety nine cents. One thing you have to understand about the luxury clientele is, listen, those Balenciaga tennis shoes that are out there right now that everybody is hating on. Let me tell you. It is not about the design of those shoes. I had to break this down the other day to someone. It is about the, I've, I've crossed the threshold into a certain group. I am a part of an exclusivity that you can't even touch. I got so much that I can afford to buy these kind of shoes that are not pleasing to everyone and just have them sit over in the corner if I want to. Mm-hmm. Wear them one time just to be in fashion and on page six if I want to. So you have to understand the mind of where certain consumers are of how you're trying to attract that particular consumer because the wrong language to the right crowd. So you've said in your mind, I'm going for this crowd, but you start speaking low slash and you start doing sales and slashing prices and discounting and percentages off and mm, that's not the right language to the crowd that you say you want to be a part of so be very clear in speaking the right language to the right crowd not the Mm -hmm. right language to the wrong crowd or the wrong language to the right crowd but the right language to the right crowd i think you just hit a (sighs) a major pain point for people in business. I think one of the problems why people get it confused is because not because they don't know their market, but because they're impatient with the process. You have to, especially if you're going for luxury, <clears throat> luxury buyers aren't necessarily going to rush in to buy your product or service. Um, but once they do, they become loyal fans. But to get that first sale, to get to, to get them to buy into the value that you built by telling the story consistently, it will pay off. So you have to be realistic with your timeline as it relates to your milestones. That's one. Two, mm-hmm. like she was saying with the Balenciaga, and we, you know, we've, we've been saying with all the luxury brands, we are really, if y'all don't know, we really love luxury brands. But anyway, um, Let me say this. If your market is hip-hop culture, you've got to speak the language of hip-hop culture. Mm -hmm. Okay? You will not see hip-hop culture language in Cartier or Tiffany. You won't. Why? That's not hip-hop culture. Is that to say that they don't buy from Cartier and Tiffany? They probably dripping in it when they're wearing it. But hip-hop culture overall... You're not going to see that language at a Tiffany or Cartier or Bentley or Rolls Royce or, or even Maserati. You're not going to see that kind of language, that lifestyle. It's not going to be even in their advertising. On the other hand, you, so the, just to give you a visual 
of what we're talking about. You want to stay true. Like, J, like she said, Jay Peterman, they've been around forever. They have not changed. They know who their market is, but guess what? They have loyal, raving fans, customers who stick with them. And guess what they do? They hand that down to generation after generation. So they have generational customers. If that's what you're going for, luxury brands, luxury brands have generational customers. But it takes time. And it you need to do time. your research on, on the time that it's going to take. So if you know that you have a luxury brand, understand. It's just like, um, I don't know if y'all watch Living Single, but I remember the episode where Regine was so happy about this boutique being bought out by this company. But guess what? When it came in, that particular store they turned into like the five and dime store or yep, whatever. The bargain and, bin. And she, the bargain bin. <laughs> and she was like, wait a minute. What happened? She said, the guy told her, he says, this is our money maker. The bargain mm-hmm. bin is our money maker. Mm-hmm. We may only sell one or two items a week mm-hmm. at the high end boutique store. Mm-hmm. So we're not making money over there. We make our money on the bargain. Bin. So if you have a luxury product, Give yourself patience and time to work that through. But if you don't have the patience, give yourself something else over here, a a cheaper widget Mm -hmm. that can help sustain you until the luxury brand takes off. Just a little nugget for you. Right. And and, and part of the problem as we go into our, our next break, part of the problem is the fact that starting out, most people don't have the wealth that luxury owners have luxury shoppers have and as a result they can't expand their mind to think so just something for you to think about uh, as we go into our next break you're listening to business in black and we'll be right back you're listening to business in black with your host Danita harris And you're listening to Business in Black, uh, the weekly podcast where we talk everything starting, growing, and building a better and more successful business. And this week we are, if you're just tuning in, we're talking about uh, stop confusing your clients. So we've gone through about five. We have about five more to get through. Hopefully we can push it out here. Um, we left off talking about speaking the right language to the wrong crowd and speaking the wrong language to the right crowd and Understanding that even if your product is a luxury product, that means you if you're not someone of wealth, of extreme wealth, then you probably need to research on how to speak. Uh, one book that I love, uh, which is by one of my favorite uh, business gurus, Dan Kennedy, is No BS Marketing to the Affluent. If you've never read it, please go pick it up. You can find it online, of course, at Amazon.com, Half Price Books, which is my favorite. Um, and it's called again, um, how no BS marketing, BS, B period, S period, no BS marketing to a uh, guide to marketing to the affluent. And uh, it's by Dan Kennedy, K E N N E D Y. He's one of my favorite authors. Uh, please go pick it up as a resource, it will help you from an infinite, his books are just infinite in knowledge and wisdom and understanding different markets and and different ways for marketing and being in sales. So go pick that up, please. And, And going right into number six, ways you're confusing your client. Number six is you're confusing your client because you are inconsistent in your branding and in your message, according to Harvard Law Review. So I read this article on on Harvard Law Review, and it was talking about basically how how people are completely caught in deer headlight, again, as we've been saying all show long, because people don't understand when you start switching it up on them all the time. You can't switch up your, your fonts. You can't use too many fonts. You can't start switching up your... Now, the only time I think it's acceptable to switch up your your company colors is if you're doing like for awareness for a particular month. Like this month is Women's History Month. Happy Women's History Month, Dr. Hughes. Uh, We're able to do things in America that other women in other places still aren't able to do. So we're thankful for that. And we're thankful for the ability to, to help other women um, because of the lack of ability for them to move into um, more powerful roles and more self-empowering roles and more professional and personal development roles in their lives. And so 
um, you can, we could change our logo out if we wanted to, to red to help support, you know, breast cancer awareness to pink, to lupus support to purple, you know, so we can change out our logo when it's in, in like the NFL does it, uh, does that every year with the, the pink jerseys. They, they put NBA does it too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. NBA. <clears throat> so that's the appropriate time to do it, but you shouldn't be changing your colors every five seconds. So let's take AT&T. AT&T has been around forever. My dad used to work for them. Honey, back when it was Bell South. Right. Bell South. Come on now. <laughs> or Southern so, Bell. Listen, they've had so many AT&T names. AT&T merged with Singular. Mm-hmm. For all you young folk who didn't know, there was a yes. telephone company called Singular back in the day. That's mobile right. wireless cell phone company. They took on that orange. You remember that? Because up until then, it used to just be that same ball that represents the world um, with the blue and the white. But then they added that one element. But it took them years. That's right. And it wasn't as a result of just, hey, we're going to change it up. It was a result of the merger with Singular that they took on that third color, which is that orange. And it's more of an accent color because their still main colors are that blue and white that you always see. So Mm -hmm. that's a perfect example of how to integrate new color. You can't just be, oh, one week we're this color, next week we're that color. Next week we're changing for Christmas, next week we're changing for spring break. Like it's just, it's too much. And your clients will be confused um, because you are inconsistent with your colors, with your taglines. Like your taglines should not be changing every five seconds either. Um, your message, how you speak to your clients in terms of the etymology, like the words you use. If you normally are saying, like Dr. Hughes was breaking down for us earlier, um, when she was saying, um, what were you saying, Dr. Hughes, about you wanting the, the, your fluctuating between your idiosyncrasies and your proper language, your proper English. Right, exactly. So when you're saying, I ain't going to do nothing, if that's the way that you normally talk in your business, then keep it there. So then you can't switch up the next time and start talking proper. Right, exactly. So you understand what I'm saying? You, You have to have consistency across the board in how you build a brand because how can I trust you if you're constantly being a chameleon and changing up on me? Here's the thing. I want to I want to help people to stop saying this and using this as an excuse. Well, people rebrand all the time. They don't rebrand every week. <laughs> they don't rebrand every three to six months. <laughs> what did she just say? AT and T, and that was because of a merger. Mm-hmm. But the core of their brand is still the same. FedEx is not changing their colors. Mm-hmm. UPS is not changing their colors. Bentley. Cartier, mm-hmm. Tiffany, mm-hmm. Tiffany, and people still trying to get that Tiffany blue, right? They still can't get it. Mm-hmm. Th- these, th- there's a consistency. Even Adidas, mm-hmm. they brought it up to the now, but guess what? The core of the brand is still the same. Azad, still the mm-hmm. same. Mm-hmm. Still the same. They now, recently, I mean, uh, uh, well, recently, Azad <laughs> did something. Um, they, they, for one day to um, bring awareness to like um, what's going on with the ecosystem and animals. So they started adding, they added endangered species. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They still have the original alligator. Mm, They still have mm -hmm. the original one, but they did, they added, they did a series of clothing, some special clothing to bring awareness to endangered species. That's different. Cause guess what? Like Ms. Harris said, you know, it's just, just, it's no different than the NBA, NFL, when they do pink and all the, for the different awareness, they right. did that to bring awareness to endangered species. That has nothing to do with brand. They haven't changed their brand. Their brand, they're still, but it goes back to communicating. So when they brought it out, they communicated the message right. of what they were doing. Right. When you see those pink jerseys or those ribbons, the the NFL, the NBA, all of these sports agencies, the, uh, 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 baseball, they all communicate what it's about. Right. And the announcers announce it. And the announcers announce it's just like when, you know, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers put in them put them pumpkin throwback jerseys on. Right. You gonna hear an announcer say something about those pumpkin throwback right. jerseys. Correct. By the way, they Correct. play like sometimes they play the best games of their lives in the pumpkin <laughs> throwback jerseys. But anyway. <laughs> um, but I'm just saying, you know, so 
you don't just see them throw it on. It's just like the Miami Heat. They went through the whole Miami Vice. They just came mm-hmm. out of the Miami Vice and they just did that. And so now they're back to the red jerseys. But guess what? They're communicating it along the way of where the Vice thing came from or where this came from. But guess what? Is the core Miami of the Miami Heat still the same? Mm-hmm. Yes. They're not rebranding. So please stop using the excuse, oh, what companies rebrand all the time, honey? Solidify your message and your brand. You can come up with campaigns around that. Again, like Ms. Harris said, we're, we're Women's History Month. Shout out to all the women doing fabulous things, whether you're an entrepreneur or whatever. You're amazing, honey. You're amazing. Whether it's that, it's breast, whether it's cancer, lupus, Black History Month, whatever, that's different. You can create campaigns and stuff around that. But the core of your brand, your lettering, your colors, your logo, all of this stuff should be the same unless you're being a, a consistency, <laughs> unless you are going through a merger. Right, right, right. Or you're tweaking it slightly. Right. It's still not 180 that, degrees different. You, you, it's it shouldn't okay be to, that much yeah, of a change. Yeah, yeah. You know? It shouldn't and be this, like Michael Jackson circa 1960 uh, versus mm-hmm. Michael Jackson 2000. Stop it. Uh, okay. <laughs> stop it. All right. Now we're seven. Moving right along. Hey, listen. I love well, his listen. music. Love is music. But, you know, hey, your colors, you know, if, if right. you just go one shade, okay, so maybe I want a darker blue. Mm. I might go one shade over to the blue. Most people may not notice that. But don't be going from dark blue to powder blue. Mm-hmm. That's right. like going Duke, uh, Duke Blue Devil Blue to UNC Blue, Chapel Hill yeah. Blue. Don't right. do that. Right. Don't do that. All right. So number seven of ways um, that you're confusing your clients is through your pricing. <laughs> did we just talk about that okay. yeah your pricing yeah. is throwing people off um your pricing and your your conversation they're not connecting your pricing and your conversation even from i had a um a, a colleague that i knew um who wanted to round everything to nice even numbers and it was like for the industry he was in, not for certain industries, that's fine. But for the industry that he was in, that 99 was important. And that was the food industry. The 99, 97, 95, they all, all, studies have been shown that they all have different meanings. And for certain stores, like 95 means it's clearance out and they're not going to bring it back anymore. So they have real different meanings. But it also sends buying signals to the brain. Yes. Right. So like my nail lacquers on mbymarlow.com, you can shop them. They're for busy and professional women, uh, colors that work for women that work. See that tagline? Um, my nail lacquers are actually twenty seven ninety nine. I added the 99. A lot of people in beauty don't do a 99, but I added the 99 because it's 28, but it's just slightly under. Because it makes the consumer feel a certain way when they're purchasing it. Um, So pricing really needs to be on par from the way you communicate your pricing to the group of people you're trying to communicate your pricing to. Is it the pricing um, that will resonate with that crowd of people? I, I had a friend that was a buyer's assistant that worked for a very prestigious um, Dallas um store, standalone store. And I remember him telling me all the time, uh, this particular store is not entertaining you unless your jeans wholesale start at $150. Jeans wholesale, $150. Because they have a level of expectation, a price point that they have established with their core market who shops their store and they're not going to bring anything else in to cheapen their brand. Right. So you have to be very cognitive of price and how you price. I think um, one of the things you need to do, in addition to um, pricing your your item based off of you know whatever your 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 expenses are, <clears throat> that's a different show. But shop your competitors. Mm-hmm. Not only shop your competitors, shop where you want to be. Where do I want my product, my widget, my service to be? Shop your market. Where are they shopping? Mm -hmm. And go 
and take a look and see. I'm going to tell you, it will put so much confidence in you when you see this, the, the quality and the level of things that are in certain stores where you want your stuff to be. Sometimes you don't think, oh, I may not, it, it, it's not going to fit. Hmm. But when you go, it opens your eyes. Shop. That's part of your market research. Get from behind the computer, get out and go to the store. Physically look, feel, touch. Miss Harris and I do it all the time. Mm-hmm. We just had a conversation. She said, girl, I just was in this store and I saw this and it was a da, da, da. I was like, I don't understand. She mm-hmm. sent me a picture of something and I was like, I don't understand what this is. Are you serious? This is So guess what I'm going to go do? I'm going to the same store because they're in a chain store. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go look at that same product because I saw the picture. I'm going to go look at the same product. I want to touch it. I want to feel it. I want to see it. Mm-hmm. And I want to see if it's just as, just as bad as it looks in person as it did in the picture. Why? When you go shopping, it helps you understand not only pricing, but packaging. All of this stuff matters in how your customers are going to, it helps you understand how your customers are going to respond to your brand, which again, when it comes to pricing, talk to potential customers. Who is your potential market? Talk to them. They don't mind sharing with you what their expectations are. It doesn't matter if it makes sense to you. Does Mm -hmm. it make dollars? Mm-hmm. Does it make dollars? Mm-hmm. Because if it doesn't make dollars, it shouldn't make sense to you. But if it does make dollars, even if it doesn't make sense to you, figure out how to make it make sense to you so that you can deliver. Because it's all about responding to your customers' wants and needs. If they're telling you this is what they want, if they're telling you this is what they need, go for it. Look for those those kind of customers, those those stores who their price point for wholesale is already high. So, you know, you're already in there like Flint with price. So you don't even have to compromise on price. So what else is it that's right. going to get you in there? Right. But again, it's about being consistent, having confidence, build your own confidence, go out and look, get out of from behind the computer because the computer can only show you and tell right. you so much. Right. And with that, um, this has been a great show. We're going to come right back in a little bit. Uh, We're talking about stop confusing your clients. And we're doing a countdown of 10 ways that you are confusing them. And we just left off on number seven pricing. And so we have three more to go. You're listening to Business in Black. And we'll be right back. You're listening to Business in Black with your host, Danita Harris. Welcome back to Business in Black. Uh, We're in the last three of 10 reasons why you are confusing your client and how to stop doing it, people, because you don't want confused clients. Confused clients make for clients that are indecisive, that are frustrated, that will turn around, go to your competitor and purchase. And you'll be scratching your head like, well, what happened? Why didn't they? So we're hoping to give you some of the, the... biggest reasons why people will turn around and not want to buy from you. And number eight, giving too much information, Dr. Hughes. Mm -hmm. We talked about, according to Australia, um, Ant Hill, which I found online, uh, uh, periodical, um, you want to keep things that are useful and relevant to your consumer. So you don't want to start talking about, you know, uh, the, the, the chemicals and the, the pesticides and the whatever that are used on fruit, let's say, for example, when your client doesn't care about it. They, they're a just, I go to the store and I purchase a piece of fruit person. They don't care about what it's free from and what it doesn't have and how, you know, most people are like, okay, it's just a piece of fruit, but to that organic, non-toxic clientele, they're going to care about those sorts of things. Mm So Whole Foods is a great example, right? Whole Foods is a great example spotlighting, oh, this is coming from this indigenous tribe in in the rainforest and they've cultivated it in this manner and all all of our produce comes from this way and all of our meats are this way and the, the manufacturers prepare it that way. Well, to the people that that matters, they'll shop Whole Foods because they want to hear those stories. For people who don't really care about it, they'll go down and shop your local grocery store because they're not going to highlight that. The most you're going to get out of a local grocery store is this is organic and this is not, if they even carry organic. 
So learn how to not give your people too much information, keep it useful and relevant to the consumer that you're trying to target. Right. It, do, it, it all goes back to your target market because I'm not trying to be funny. Most people who are buying a car don't care that you're using a three quarter inch this or, you know, this, that, that they're only like car enthusiasts. Yeah. But the average person, you, when you see a Mazda commercial on TV, they're not telling you all that stuff about what's happening on the assembly line. Why? It's not relevant. They don't. That's not even about to right. be a part of the exactly. buying decision process. Right. Uh-huh. They're selling you on. What's the one? There's one that they have one now. I love it. The woman is in the front seat and she's the car's not even moving. She's yelling at her kids. She's going through the same process oh, she yes. did as a mother. Yes, yes. And the next thing you know, they turn around and the salesman and the salesman in the back seat and they're like, "Okay, how do you feel?" Okay, I'll take it. That's <laughs> yes, speaking yes. to people. Yes. You know what I mean? Like that's that's totally relevant. That's somebody can see themselves doing that, yelling at their kids or whatever, but mm-hmm. they ain't talking about the assembly line. You have to think about these things. So keep your customer in mind. It goes back to the language that Miss Harris talked about earlier, speaking the right language um, to the right customer and the right audience. Again, if people don't care about, they're not into vegan and on all of these different things. If that's not, if vegan is not your client, you don't need to tell people that it's free of this and it's non-GMO and blah, blah, blah. Cause mm-hmm. some people don't care about that. They just sell mm-hmm. the food. Right. Just, Tastes great. You know? Tastes great. Like <laughs> use those kind of buzzwords. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, good. like Campbell's, here. Campbell's made yep. a killing off of mm-mm good. Mm-mm. Good. To the right. day you yeah. hear Mm-mm good, you're thinking right. about Campbell's, okay? Mm-hmm. You think you're not thinking about Progresso right. and Grandma Soup. You're right. thinking about Mm-mm good, right. that's Campbell's, right? Okay, right. they right. got it on lock, right? Our taste great, less filling is to right. one beer clientele versus mm-hmm. handcrafted Stella Artois. There you go, right? Okay, so two different mm-hmm. messages keep it yes. relevant to your crowd. Number nine is my favorite. Using jargon that is industry specific. So I started the show with a piece of jargon that is sales specific, which is with them. What's in it for me? So I want to start with some jargons that you may have heard of. You know how I always like to have these little surprises in the show. Um, So there are some that are all industry specific. So of course, being that I used to have a wine company, I'm going to start with wine. Uh, Dr. Hughes loves wine, as I do. Uh, so some of the um, jargon, and it doesn't have to be, um, so WIFM is a acronym. It doesn't have to be an acronym. It could just be a term that's industry specific that most people will be like, wait, what? What does that mean? Like Six Sigma is one for business, right? Yes. So for wine, some of them you may know, um, but do you know what baked means for wine? You broke up. What did you say? Baked. B-A-K-E-D in wine. It's a description. Mm -hmm. It means a wine with a high alcohol content that gives a perception of stewed or baked fruit flavors. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, One that you may know, of course, is acidic. A wine with a noticeably sense of acidity. Mm -hmm. Or um, another one that you've probably heard of, chewy a sense of tannins that are not overwhelming. Right. Um, So these are examples, and I'm going to go to another industry. Let's try hmm, valet terminology, Mm -hmm. Uh, which I have no clue on anything. Oh, I know an arabesque, which is a dance. Um, And then there's arandi, which I'm probably butchering, but it's a position of the hand that's rounded. And in other dance, um, other dance types, genres, they're going to use a different word for the hand being more rounded, right? Uh, let's go to ah, poker terminology. And I'm finding all of this on wikipedia.com, which is very interesting. So, um, Ante, we've heard of that one. Annie up. Yep. A forced bet required in some types of poker. So you have to Annie up. You have to come on. Everybody has to to bet on this one, right? Okay. A bad bet to lose a hand where one hand is considerably ahead of an eventual winning hand. Bankroll, we've heard of that one. 
the amount of money that the player has to wager for the duration of his or her poker career. What about simple terms like the different types of poker? Because you got Texas style, you got Hold'em, you got, you know, if you don't know anything about cards and and poker, I'm I'm one of those people. I don't know the difference between traditional poker, Texas style, Hold'em, this and that one. I don't know. I don't know. I know spades. That's it. I don't know what I mean. I know solitaire. I mean, some people just don't know the difference. And some, if you don't even know the different styles of poker, you're definitely not going to know anything about some of the other jargon and things that's there. But it's your job. If that's your industry, it's your job. It's like bowling. Mm-hmm. You know, some people who may have never gone bowling don't know what a spare or a strike. You know, some of these other, you know, a pickup, a four, none of that. Uh, in the business world, uh, an ad hoc. Yes. Or an act of God. An ad hoc is generally means when... um, Basically temporary committee. It is what it is, basically. Uh, Generally means as and when required as the situation demands. And an act of God is different from one industry to the next, from one business to the next, because everybody does not consider the same thing an act of God because an insurance company is definitely not going to consider... Certain things and act of God, why? Because they don't want right. to pay out. So they're looking right. for different, you know, so you have to look at um, some of those terms. You think that, oh, it's an act of God. Yeah, you're telling me wind damage is not an act of God. Mm. Well, we mm-hmm. consider it only when it's okay, really? Mm-hmm. So you have to think about that from, from industry to industry. There are different things. You have to think about riders. What is a rider, you know, on, in, an in, on, in an insurance policy? What is right. a That's another term, a rider. Correct. That's another term. You have to you have to find out what that rider means. To what is it? What does it do for you? Um, you know, different things. So yeah, I think that's great. Right. So there are all of these uh, industry jargons that we can use in the context of our industry that will then confuse potential clients. So Mm -hmm. if you're doing B2B sales, business to business sales, that's one thing. It's okay to use industry terms because more Mm -hmm. than likely they're going to know those same industry terms. And sometimes you have to look for social cues, people. If you're having a face-to-face conversation or even an over-the-phone conversation with somebody and you say one of these jargons and there's a blank stare on their face or on the phone, there's like a little pause. Mm-hmm. Then go just politely go into explaining it without being like, I can't believe you don't know what this mm-hmm. means. It is, mm-hmm. you know, like go into it and just kind of explain it in a way that is not like you're explaining it mm-hmm. so that you're not insulting the person because they don't know, but you're just making sure that they do know. I think a perfect example is when, um, people who are in government and they do a lot of business contractors and consultants with the government um you have this term called civil service man it took me forever to understand well what is the difference and so you know having people who are in government they'll say well civil service is anything that's not government to us Mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. us Mm-hmm. You're not government personnel. You're civil service. Oh, okay. Well, tell me because right. I, I don't I don't know what you're talking about. Like to me, you know, we're all you know, <laughs> we're we're all civilians. What are you talking about? Right. So there's a difference, and so that terminology is confusing in and of itself. So if you're someone who wants to get into government contracting, um, that is something you need need to know about. You know, you need to understand what a civil service what civil service is and how it relates because again. Um, being a professor, I used to teach and I would hear all, you know, people coming out of the military and all this other kind of stuff. And they want to transition over in the government. They want to transition over this. And, oh, it's so much harder to transition to civil service from this. And it's like, what are you talking about? Because you have to make that distinction and help people understand what you mean. What is the equivalent in civil service to what you did in government? And that's not easy to do. And so that's why you see people transition for the military go right into another government agency because that's like it's a different lifestyle right the language is different um you want to talk about acronyms man they have so many that your head will spin but they get it and they understand it but mm-hmm. when you're a civilian and you're contracting with the government now you have to learn right. not only how things operate and function and flow but you have to understand those terms 
the jargon, all of those sayings. But the one you have to really understand is civil service. Like it's like, it was just, it's mind blowing um, how they use it. It's like second language to them. They don't even consider it jargon because it's so normal. It's normal, normal right. It's their normal conversations. Right. So. And the last one, which mm-hmm. basically surmises everything that we've talked about today, ladies and gentlemen, number 10, the 10th way to stop confusing your client is by having lack of clarity. Mm. <laughs> I recently saw a video with Betsy DeVos and it was the most confusing. Sorry, Betsy DeVos fans. Like it was the most, wait, what? I mean, huh? Where did she answer the question? Was the, um, huh? What do you, what do you mean? You've never stepped in, inside of school in yeah, 40 years. What do you mean? <laughs> what? I don't understand. The whole thing just lacked clarity. Don't be <laughs> laughing at me, Dr. Hughes. You know I'm it. not laughing at you. I'm laughing at that interview because Honey, she didn't know her job. <laughs> that you know, she don't know her job. She the don't know whole. anything about education. And she yeah. just proved why she was the worst pick and why a whole lot of people opposed her as a secretary of education because she does not know her job, doesn't know anything about anything Listen. about education and her They can ask her. She just yeah, showed all the tea children in that horrible interview. One, once. Like that was 50 years ago, lady. What are you talking about? You were one. Well, you haven't talked to any in 2018. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> Since you've been in the job a whole year, you mean to tell me in a whole year? You haven't year, talked to one child? Not one. Okay. Okay, well, I don't know what to say, but where your heart is, where your heart is, we're gonna get off the fence. Bless her heart. But that was a good example. I will say right. that is that is a great example of what not to do mm-hmm. and how important it is to be prepared. Know your craft. Know yeah. your business know your industry if you don't know just the basics you should not step out there in business until you at least know the basics know the basics and with that we've given you another power-packed show uh business in black is a weekly podcast where we talk everything starting growing and building a better and more successful business listen we thank you for tuning in with us if you have any questions or comments or uh just want to say hello you can reach out to me on um any of my social media handle is business intelligence coach or you can email me at d Harris Enterprises at gmail.com. That's enterprises with an S. And Dr. Hughes? I am the Global Mentor Coach. You can find me at www.globalmentorcoach.com. And on social media, Dr. Latanya Hughes. Excellent. I do have a website. I could plug that too, right? Businessintelligencecoach.com. There you go. (laughs) All right. Well, this has been another great day. Hope you have a great rest of your week. You're listening to Business in Black, and we'll see you next time. You're listening to Business in Black with your host, Danita Harris.